Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, B.C., we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but had a great trembling fall upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. All right, well, we are kind of in the middle of this series, which I'm calling Encounter, which is, of course, as we've been saying, about encountering God. And uh, today, this is what we're saying and what we're continuing to say through this series is that this really is our greatest need. 
to encounter the creator of heaven and earth, to know him through Jesus Christ. This is really the key to be able to get through life, the key to living the Christian life. The key really for everything is encountering God. Think with me for a minute about someone whom you know who you would say, this person to, to me is a hero in the faith. Maybe it's somebody who's alive. You know them. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a parent, somebody like that. And you say, this person to me, this is a hero of the faith. Or maybe it's someone who is long ago passed away, uh, but you've read their story, maybe in a biography, in a book, and you say, no, that person to me, that is a hero in the faith. Whoever that person is, think about them for a moment. And what you would say is, despite their faults, which I'm sure they had many, despite their sins, which also were many, you would say that person possesses a kind of buoyancy. You know what I mean by that? Buoyancy. Buoyancy means to to not sink, to be able to stay afloat. Think of kids, you know, when they're they're playing in a pool and when kids find a ball, what do they want to do with that ball in a pool? They want to push it under the water, right? So depending on how big that ball is, the kids are pressing down, they're trying to make this ball sink, but depending how much air is in that ball, how big that ball is, it will begin to push back against the child's hands, and eventually it's going to break free and it's going to burst back to the surface. When you think about that person in your mind, you'd say, that person is a hero of the faith. You'd say, despite all the things they've been through, despite all their own faults, They possess a kind of buoyancy. Sure, they were pushed under a lot. They might have been pushed under for a long time, but they always seem to come back to the surface. They keep following Christ. They remain faithful all the way to the end. This is what makes them, probably for you, a hero in the faith. Think about the Apostle Peter, for example. There's a true hero of the faith. But that man had faults. Greatly concerned about other people's opinions. Very fearful needing the approval of others, deeply lacking in courage. That's the early apostle Peter. But then as he goes through, he's pushed down under the water as he follows Christ, as Christ begins to form him and shape him, he begins to grow in his sense of buoyancy, if you want to call it that. And the apostle Peter, at the very end of his life tradition, tells us that he was to be crucified for his faith in Christ, and he requested to be crucified upside down because he did not think himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. That is courage. Wow. What a difference. What happened with him? What made Peter so unsinkable? I want to know what Peter, what what happened to him so that could maybe happen to me, even in part, hopefully not the crucifixion part. Or just think about the person in your life who you think you've admired. Again, you think of all the difficulties they face. You'd say, yeah, they were pushed under the water many times. They were deflated, you could even say, and sunk to the bottom for a while. But somehow, God enabled them to be filled with air, so to speak. And they, again, they rose to the surface. They struggled, but they also grew in strength and courage. And they seemed to possess this inner peace that enabled them to be faithful all the way to the end. So I, I want to know what, how do these people get like that? Because I want that. I need that. <laughs> and, I, and I trust that you want that and need that as well. So how do these women, how do these men become unsinkable? Where do they get this sense of buoyancy? 
If you ever ask them, which I have many times, anytime I meet someone whom I regard like that, I ask them these kind of questions. Or when I'm reading biographies, I'm listening for what is it that enabled them to do this. And every single one of them, if you ask them the question, here's the first first thing they're going to say. They're going to say, oh, don't go thinking there's something special about me. They, they will, you start saying, I think you're so amazing, they will stop you and they'll say, whoa, 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 just settle down for a minute. There's nothing special about me. It's not that I'm an exceptional person. What they will go on to say is, despite all of my weaknesses, my faults, and my sins, Jesus has carried me. Jesus has put that air into my soul. I have walked with him. I have encountered him over and over again through little ways, just little devotional readings I've had, maybe some big moments in their life where they encountered God. And what they're going to say to you is it was God's grace through many encounters with him that has brought me all the way to the end. So this person would say to you, if you regard me as a hero, Maybe don't regard me as a hero. They're always going to push back. They're going to say, it's encounters with God. It's walking with Jesus and the grace that he gives us time and again that gives us peace, strength, and courage. That's what they're all going to say to you. And so what I'm praying is going to happen this morning is that we would encounter God. It's just maybe this morning in a small way that God would do that to grant us a bit more of that buoyancy I think that we all need. That God would grant us a bit more of that courage, that strength, and that inner peace. So whether you're watching at home or whether you're here this morning, pray in your heart along with me right now that we would not talk just about encountering God, but that God would be pleased in his grace to enable us to encounter him again this morning. Father, may you grant your spirit to do that in our midst again today. To show you all this, I want to look at Daniel chapter 10. There's a lot in this chapter which we're not going to have time to get into this morning. But what I want to zero in on in this chapter is Daniel's personal encounter with God, with the angel that God sent to him. And although there's parts of this encounter that are very unique to Daniel and to his situation which aren't replicated for us, there are parts of it that very much are replicated for anyone who wants to know Christ, anyone who wants to encounter God. So let's look at four things this morning out of Daniel's encounter counter, okay? So let's look at what Daniel felt, what Daniel did, what Daniel heard, and maybe best of all this morning, what Daniel got out of this encounter with God. So through all this, I hope to show you how God gives us this buoyancy that we all need and that we all want because life is hard and it's not always easy. There are many things pressing us under the water. First then, Let's look at this. What Daniel felt. Let's look at what Daniel felt. This is the shortest, simplest of the point. Daniel, as we begin to get into this chapter, had just received some really bad news. Really bad news. And just like when you receive bad news, it makes you discouraged. It makes you fall into maybe even into despair. Daniel is feeling totally overwhelmed by this news that he has just received. And he's struggling greatly with it. So what was this bad news? Well, if you know a bit of your story in the Old Testament, uh, you might remember that the, uh, the nation of Israel, they're living in the land, they got Jerusalem as a great city. The Babylonians come in, the world power at the time, utterly conquer it, destroy Jerusalem, tear down the walls, tear down the city, pillage everything, and they take all the Jewish people and they take them to Babylon. So the Jewish people are displaced, they're living in exile, they're not in their homeland. The great city of Jerusalem has been razed to the ground And they're just sitting there in this foreign country going, oh, our hope is lost. All things are lost. 
but a generation or two passes, and hope begins to be restored. For as we read earlier on, King Cyrus, a new king, comes to the throne, and Cyrus says, we got a new policy. I'm going to allow some of the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem. I'm even going to allow you to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls. And so all these Jewish people are like, our, our great city we can go back to. Our hopes are beginning to be restored. Hope is returning to their hearts. And so a whole bunch of them return. They start building the wall. But then they face some massive opposition. So much opposition that they quit building. So the dream that began to be, the spark began to come back, everyone's excited. All of a sudden now, hope flees their hearts and they're no longer building and all the hope that they once had now is lost. Daniel has just received news that what he thought was the beginning of this new era, what was the beginning of something great, now is completely over because they've stopped building the wall and now he's sitting there going, hope is lost. This is the bad news that he has received. And so we read this in verse 2 where Daniel says these words. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks after he heard this bad news. Same as us. I think we all know what that means in life to face these kind of moments. Our dreams fall apart. Bad news comes our way. And when it does, we feel overwhelmed. We feel discouraged like Daniel. This isn't just like for a day he feels bad. For three weeks, he just can't even focus on anything else. In other words, he's sinking. The air has gone out of him. The pressure is too great. And he is being pushed under the water. So that is what Daniel felt. And that is what we also feel. Now, let's look in the second place at what Daniel did what Daniel did. We read that he devoted himself to fasting and to prayer. And so in verse 3, Daniel writes these words. He says, I ate no delicacies, no desserts, no tiramisu for him after dinner, no meat or wine, no steak dinners. He's not having any of this kind of stuff. None of that entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. They would anoint their hair and things like that. In other words, all the things you do to make yourself look good and feel good. He did that for a full three weeks, he says. Later in the chapter, the angel says he came in response to Daniel's prayers. Here's what we read. The angel says, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, that first day you began to fast and pray and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. But then he adds, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, some sort of spiritual power, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the good spiritual powers, angels, one of the chief princes came to help me. So, lots of interesting stuff in there, but just here's the simple point. In answer to Daniel's prayers, God sent an angel to him. God wanted to give Daniel an encounter. But we read that this angel took three weeks to get there because something's going on in the spiritual realm of which doesn't really get into a whole lot. We don't really know what's going on here, don't really understand it. But some sort of battle in the spiritual realm that the angel of God that is sent from God to Daniel to give him this encounter cannot get there because there's some sort of war going on. Here we learn something pretty crucial. If you want to encounter God, if you want this kind of buoyancy, we learned something very important. Notice that Daniel's encounter with God did not happen by mere chance. Not by mere chance. The encounter happened as Daniel began to pursue God himself. In other words, Daniel acted. He was deliberate. He prayed. He fasted. 
So this teaches us that if we want to encounter God, we don't just sit back and just kind of wait for it to happen. Now, praise God that in his mercy and grace, he, encounter, he causes encounters with us even when we're not pursuing him. Praise him that he does that. That is glorious. But that doesn't take away from the fact that if we really want to encounter God like Daniel, we've got to pursue God. We've got to be deliberate. We have to act through seeking him, through things like fasting and prayer and the reading of his word. So think of all this language of encounter like that story about blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, if you've ever read it. If you haven't, here's how it goes. There's a man who's blind. Uh, He's heard about this man named Jesus, who's apparently been performing miracles. And so Bartimaeus is begging beside the road. He goes out every day. He sits beside the road and he begs. He's, He's heard of Jesus. Maybe he's hoping one day Jesus might come by here. But he doesn't know, and he just goes out every day and sits by the side of the road. Then one day, he hears that Jesus is coming down the road. And he's blind, he can't see for himself, and so he just starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! And he just keeps saying this over and over. The people around him try to shut him up. They're like, just quiet, leave, leave the teacher alone. But he just, he just won't stop. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! And he just keeps on going on like this, and Jesus hears him. And Jesus comes over to him and heals him of his blindness. Now ponder on this question for a moment. What if Bartimaeus had stayed home that day? What if he'd said to himself, I come out here every day, and there's never been an encounter with this Jesus guy. Maybe he's never going to come. I'm just feeling too discouraged. I'm just going to stay home. What if he had stayed home that day? He would have missed this tremendous encounter that he had with Jesus. And it's the same with us. There's, of course, a sense in which God can meet us any way he chooses. And again, praise him that he meets us in all kinds of ways when we're not even looking for him. He does that. But God has also told us that, metaphorically speaking, there are specific roads that God walks, if you want to put it this way. There are roads that he has set out where he has said, I walk this road, and if you come and sit beside this road, I will encounter you. If we want to encounter God, then we need to put ourselves on these roads. So what are some of these roads? Well, for instance, they're simple things like reading the scriptures. The scriptures are God's word to us. And so as we sit there and we open up the Bible and we start to read, some days don't feel like maybe we got a lot out of it. But you never know when you're reading the scriptures, that's the road that God walks and one day you're sitting there and all of a sudden the words just jump out of the page and they're exactly what you needed to hear and you encounter God in such a powerful way that it changes everything about your day, your week, maybe even your year or your life. You never know when you sit by the road of scripture when God will encounter you. Same with Daniel and prayer and fasting as we pray to God. Those are roads that God walks where we encounter him, meeting in person for for corporate worship. There's something the scriptures say, especially in 1 Corinthians, when we gather, the Holy Spirit is present in our midst corporately in a way that he is not just individually. So that's why we say gathering in person is so important. I know we're in a time of transition. If you're at home, this is not meant to be a guilt comment to you, but in your good time, You do need to make the effort and when you're ready and comfortable, you need to come back because, listen, 
corporate worship in person is one of those roads that God walks by his Holy Spirit and he meets with us corporately in ways he does not do individually. Or we could talk about just meeting with other Christians, the fellowship that you have, the encouragement that you get. God might meet you through another Christian whom you're talking with to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to help you to carry on. So let me ask you this. Do you feel like maybe you're sinking right now? Do you feel like the pressure maybe is too great on your life? Do you want an encounter with God? Then go sit by the roads that God has promised to walk by. You never know when Jesus might walk by. We don't know how old Bartimaeus was, how many years or whatever he sat by that road. We don't know. But we know he kept going, and when he did, that day came when Jesus came by. Daniel's prayer, notice as well, it says his prayer was heard immediately, and God responded immediately. But then there was a delay to the answer of his prayer. What an encouraging verse for all of us. When we pray, we're like, God, why are you not answering our prayers? He is answering, but there might be a delay for some reason that is far beyond our comprehension that we don't understand what's going on in the unseen realm. It may take weeks, it may take decades, but the point here is we keep seeking God and he will meet with us and we will encounter him. So that's just to build the foundation this morning on what Daniel felt and what Daniel did, but now we start to get into the good stuff. Now we come into the third point I wanna talk about what Daniel heard. What Daniel heard. Now before we listen to the words that Daniel heard from God's angelic messenger, I want you to notice first of all that his first response actually when this angel shows up in this vision is that Daniel's utterly overwhelmed. His first response is to just fall on his face. His first response is a great awareness of how weak he is in the presence of such a being. And this is not even God, this is just an angel of God who has come to speak on behalf of God. Those who are with Daniel run away, but we read that this angel appears and in verse eight we read these words. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. My, in other words, my strong face all of a sudden just completely changed and I retained no strength. Physically, he basically just collapses. And this is actually the first thing that happens when we truly encounter God. When we truly encounter God, our first response is a great sense of our own weakness, of our unworthiness to know such a God a sense of our own sin, our first response is actually to be devastated by it. For we are mere creatures. And think about Isaiah, when he encounters that vision of God who is holy, three times holy, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. The language there is I'm coming apart at the seams, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Think of Saul of Tarsus, later the, the Apostle Paul, before he becomes the Apostle Paul kept the law perfectly, basically. In other words, what you might call a good person. 
When Christ, the risen Christ, appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he fell on his face and was totally devastated by the encounter. All that goodness wasn't so good when he met the risen Christ face to face. Think of Simon Peter, a hardworking, upstanding man. And when he encountered Jesus and saw him for who he truly was, he said to him, well, first of all, he fell on his knees in front of Jesus and he said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In other words, our first response Response when we encounter God is actually devastation. It's actually a sense of our own unworthiness, a sense of our own sin, that we do not belong in the presence of such a being. Our strength fails us, and we just cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you know what that experience is like at all? What it is to truly understand who God is, the holy God? Do you know what that means Like Daniel, do you know what that kind of encounter is like? But here's the good news. God does not leave us in that state. He does not leave Daniel on the ground with no strength. He does not leave you when he encounters you and you for the first time maybe you see he is the creator, I am a sinner, I am in big trouble. He does not leave you in that place. That is not where he leaves us. Praise God, that is not where he leaves us. No, he goes on and the encounter, the encounter continues and it always leads to the next step. God speaks and what he speaks is good news. He speaks the best news that anyone could ever hear. In fact, if you really are encountering him, if you are really understanding who Jesus is, you sit back and you say to yourself, I I cannot believe that this is true. Are you serious? This is the response that you begin to get. After you see your own sin, you see who God is, and then he speaks, and what you hear, you just sit back and go, this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard in all of my life. So what does God say? Well, let's listen to the very first words of this angel and what he says on behalf of God in verses 10 and 11. And behold, a hand touched me. So he's on the ground and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly loved. O man, greatly loved. Daniel's still so overwhelmed that he cannot speak. And we read the same thing happens again in verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved. Greatly loved. Let's just sit in this for a moment. There are many people who would say that they love you, but they don't really know you. And all of our greatest fears, really, is that the people who say they love us, if they really knew us, would they continue to love us? We're not always sure. But it's so incredible then, when you do find someone who truly does know you, maybe it's your spouse, uh, maybe it's a parent, whoever it could be, someone who truly knows you, and they love you. That's, that's what makes that so incredible. They know you. They know your faults. They've known you for a long time. You're not hiding much from them. And they truly love you. It's one of the greatest gifts in this world. It's what we truly call love. It's a great gift to find somebody who knows you and loves you. But listen, here is where even better news comes in. God knows you in a way that is deeper than anyone else in this world. Compared to God, no one else in this world really knows you at all. But God knows the darkest secrets of your life like no one else does. 
God knows every wrong motivation of your heart. God knows all that you have done. This is why our first encounter with God is actually so terrifying. Because like Adam and Eve in the garden, after the aid of the fruit, we suddenly realize we are naked before such a God. There's nothing covering. He sees all. And so like Adam and Eve, our first reaction is actually to run and hide. But the great story in the garden and the whole story of the Bible is that God did not reject Adam and Eve, though he saw everything. Nothing can be covered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we all must give an account. And so God draws near to Adam and Eve and he draws them out of their hiding. He draws them out. He woos them out. And the same thing with us. When we see our own sin and we're encountering God, Christ comes to us and instead of rejecting us, he brings us out in his grace. And listen, the first words that we hear from him are, O man, O woman, greatly loved. I know you. I know everything about you. And you are greatly loved. Isn't this what we see in Christ? If you want to know what God is like, you look at Christ. For God, Christ is God in human flesh. And what do you see in Christ? You see him, for instance, going after an unlovable man like Zacchaeus, a man nobody liked. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. We're going to enjoy a meal together. Think of Matthew. Here's a tax collector in ancient times in the, in the Jewish uh, Jesus era. Matthew's a Jewish man collecting taxes from his own people to support the Roman oppressors. Be like a Jew in World War II collecting taxes to support the Nazi war machine against the Jews. People hated Matthew. And yet Jesus knows all he has done and loves him, calls him to follow him and transforms Matthew's life. Think of Mary, not the mother of Jesus, one of the other Marys, who was most likely a prostitute and she felt her shame. She knelt at Jesus' feet, wept tears on his feet. And Jesus was so kind toward her, so tender, so much so that the religious leaders criticized him for how kind he was. And of course, the ultimate example of the God's character in pursuing us is the cross where Jesus on the cross is going to the cross in order to draw sinners like you and I to himself. Through his death and resurrection, he makes a way for our sins to be forgiven that we might come into the very presence of our God. So what do you need when you feel like your life is deflating and sinking? What you need first to hear is the good news. And here's the good news. That through Jesus Christ, anyone who comes to Christ, anyone who says, Jesus, forgive my sins, make me right with God, the first words you hear are, O man, O woman, greatly loved. I know you and I love you. And when you hear those words, then you can lift up that head of yours that's so discouraged, feeling so down. You can lift it up because you know you belong to Christ and he's saying your name, O one who is greatly loved. So if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, then God is saying this to you. You've been part of his family. He's saying to you, you are greatly loved. But now we just move into the better stuff even. That's what Daniel felt. It's what Daniel did. It's what Daniel heard. But now let's finally see what happened at the end of this encounter. Daniel, in the final place, let's look at what Daniel got. He got some things out of this encounter. 
After he experienced all this difficulty, after he heard this good news that he is greatly loved by the creator of the universe, he got some things out of it, and really, he got three things, and it's the same three things that we get when we encounter God. Here's the first thing. He got courage. He got courage. Verse 12 says this. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And again, it's the same time, the second time this comes around at the end of the chapter. And he said, O man, greatly love, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. When you know, listen to this, when you know deep in your soul, that the creator of all things loves you through his son, Jesus Christ. It fills you with courage beyond anything you can possibly imagine. It turns a mouse into a lion. It takes that ball that has been deflated, and maybe your life is that ball you've been pressed down to the bottom of the ocean. When you know that you're greatly loved by your creator, it fills you with such courage, like pumping that ball full of air, like to the size of like a, an exercise ball. Imagine a kid trying to press an exercise ball under the water. That's not going to happen. That ball is going to burst up to the surface. This is what happens to you when you encounter God and you begin to understand what it truly means that he loves you in Christ. Think, the best example of this I think of is the end of Romans chapter 8. Paul asks a question, and here's the question he asks. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, Paul, the answer to that is actually a lot of things can be against us. And Paul knows that. And so Paul goes on to list a whole pile of the things that can be against us, and they're really, really bad things. For instance, he lists just tribulations, trials, difficult things you go through in life. We've all got that. Distress. Things that just, just so much stress is on your life. You're being pressed down. Persecution. We don't even really have that here at all, but there's parts of the world right now where Christians are literally being killed for their faith. Famine. Nakedness. People have stolen your clothes. Danger or even violence. The sword has come your way. Yet Paul lists all these things, and he's going on and he's saying, listen, these are all things that are against us, but listen, if God is for us, the creator of all, then who can be against us? All these other things are most certainly against us, Paul says, but through Christ, we don't just conquer those things, Paul says. We more than conquer them. The word is we are super conquerors over them. And so then Paul, of course, moves up to that great shout at the end of his chapter. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life not those things, those death could be against us, but I'm convinced not even death, nor life, nor angels, any evil powers, any rulers, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. He says not even anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a shout Paul is doing this because he's saying nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if I'm secure in the love of God, if I know I'm greatly loved, I can face all of these things with courage, not because I'm great. Again, back to the very beginning, not because I'm exceptional, not because I'm so, so powerful in and of myself. No, it's because if God is for us, who can be against us? So are you sinking? Did you feel forces pressing you under the water that feel too powerful? Then listen, the maker of heaven and earth says to you, 
If you are in Christ and you belong to him today, he's saying, you are greatly loved. And nothing will separate you from that love so that you can face whatever is going to come your way. So when you get that kind of courage, now you can get up like Daniel, you can get up off the ground and you can keep going. That's the first thing Daniel got was courage. The second thing that Daniel got from this encounter with God was peace. Peace. Here's what we read in verses 18 and 19. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Peace. Again, this is what we all want. We all want this kind of peace in the midst of trials, these trials which are so difficult for us. We want that kind of peace, don't we? Again, how do we get it? It's through encountering God. Let's think of Jesus' life. He is our great example. Let's think of the inner peace that Jesus had. Just because Jesus had this this buoyancy, certainly Jesus had this buoyancy, does not mean he did not face trials. Oh, he faced many trials. You know his story. Many things pushed him under the water, so to speak. People criticized him. His own family did not understand him. Powerful people used their positions of authority to do great works of injustice against him and, of course, ultimately to murder him. And yet Jesus possessed an inner peace that brought him through it all. We're not talking about an inner peace in the Buddhist sense of the word, where somehow Jesus was up there removed from all the trials, transcendent above it all. That's never the Christian way. The Christian way lives in reality. You are in it all. Here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not in some transcendental state of meditation removed from all the stresses. No, he's so stressed, he's sweating drops of blood through his sweat. And yet there is a peace, a buoyancy that doesn't take him above it all, enables him to go through it all. That's what the inner peace is. Very different from some sort of Buddhist type teaching. So how does Jesus get all of this? Answer, read it. It's always through encountering his father. It's always by continually coming in prayer with his father, walking with his father, building his identity on his father. And this happened all through his life. Here's the ultimate example that is for Jesus and for you as well. Next to the Garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion, what would you say is probably the other hardest moment of Jesus' life? Well, the greatest trial he faced. I'm going to say probably his temptation in the desert. Right? So 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil himself. That's probably one of his greatest trials. We call it the temptation of Christ, of course. If he fails here, he fails everywhere. If he fails here, none of us get saved. There is no possibility of salvation. Death wins in the end. And we're all in really big trouble. Everything rests upon the temptation and Christ coming through this. And yet he comes through it. Now here's the big question. How did he come through it? Well, often we talk about him quoting scripture. That's great and important. I'll save that one for another day. But if you read the account of Jesus' temptation, it occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In every single one of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, there's always one story that comes right before it, and it's that one story that is tagged to Jesus' temptation, which is the key that enables Jesus to go through his temptation. So a little Bible Jeopardy, if you've read the Bible at all, this is, you only get, I'm going to give you 200 for this one, okay? This is not for a daily double. What's the story that comes right before Jesus' temptation in all three of those Gospels? Anybody know? 
It's for 200. Okay, do I need to raise it? It's the baptism of Christ. It's his baptism. Now, why is that important? Because right before he goes into the desert, he receives from his father his commission. And then right before he goes into entering into all that he has to do, the temptation all the way to the cross, his baptism is the key moment. And what is it that exactly happens at his baptism? Well, let me just quote to you. Here it is in Mark's version. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And he heard something. He heard it, just like Daniel. A voice came from heaven. This is his father. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The father is reminding his son, encouraging him in his weakness of his human flesh, just like we need. I want you to know, son, before you begin all of this, I want you to get your identity straight, and I want you to know something that is absolutely going to carry you with this inner peace through everything that you're about to go through. You are, first of all, my son, and you are my beloved son. You are greatly loved, in other words. Same thing to Daniel. You are my beloved son. I am so pleased with you. This is your identity. Carry this with you, and this will carry you not only through the temptation, through your whole life, right through your death, and all the things that you have to go through. That is how Jesus faces all this. He knew who he was, and he knew his position with the creator of heaven and earth. So listen, this is mind-blowing. God the Father speaks all those same words over all who belong to Christ. There's a slight tweak on it, because listen, there's only one capital S Son of God, and that is Jesus. There is only one. Don't mistake that. But there are many little s sons of God and little d daughters of God. For when you become a Christian, you get united to Jesus and what Jesus gets, you get. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. What he gets, you get. Which means then, we could unpack this for a long time, but what this simply means then is those same words that the father spoke to his son at, the, at his baptism are the same words that your heavenly father speaks to you when you belong to Christ. He says to you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. Know who you are and let this love that I have for you, let it go deep into your soul that you would have this inner peace as well that would not enable you to get above all of the pain of this world, but that would get you through it. So one day I'll bring you into a new world that, your, that my son, Jesus, has secured for you. Oh, what grace. What peace. Let those words just sink into your heart today that because of what Christ has done, all who belong to him are greatly loved, which means you get courage, nothing can separate you from Christ's love, and you get this inner peace when you remember constantly your identity as a son or a daughter of God. Then the final thing that Daniel got from this encounter with God, and we wrap it up with this, he got strength. Again, what we need so much, verses 18 and 19. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Now here's the final thing, be strong. 
Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And friends, this is true Christianity. True Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a set of intellectual beliefs that we believe. It is it has philosophical sides. It is, there are beliefs, of course there are, but it's not just that. It is an encounter with the living God who puts his strength into us. That's what Peter got. I mean, as we said at the beginning, Peter failed miserably, miserably. Denied his own, denied Christ three times. And yet Jesus encountered him on that beach after his resurrection in John chapter 21. Restored Peter to himself. In other words, saying to Peter, Peter, you are greatly loved. And when Peter heard that from Christ, when he experienced that grace, he was greatly strengthened. And that grace that Jesus showed him strengthened him for him to go on and do all the things that Peter eventually did. Same with Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. He fought against Christ. He thought he was such a good person who deserved God's favor. But when he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he saw his sin. He was in the depths of despair. But again... God's grace in Christ came to him, restored him. He heard that he was greatly loved and he of course goes on to become the great apostle Paul. He was strengthened after that encounter on the road to Damascus to plant churches all across the Roman Empire. So where are you at today? Do you feel like you're sinking? Maybe you even feel like you've sunk. He's like, you're thinking, I'm on the bottom. There's no air left in me maybe even today then let God breathe some new air into that soul of yours today. And I pray he even has done it as we've looked at this passage. Because listen, if you belong to Jesus, you are greatly loved. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You are an accepted and cherished son or daughter of God. So rejoice in this. Let it fill you with courage. Let it fill you with peace. Let it strengthen you. For if God is for you, who can really be against you? This is the good news. All the heroes of the faith that maybe you look up to, all the heroes of the faith through the past, this is what they will all say. They're no different from you and I. There was not something exceptional about each of them. That they did. They're just better than all of us. No, they're all human like you and I. What carried them to the end, why you respect them so much, is that they just continually encountered God. They sought Christ. They want to walk with Christ every day. They're continually seeking God. And as they did that, they had many little tiny encounters along the way that just gave them enough air in their soul just to, to stay buoyant for that next day. Sometimes they had bigger encounters with God that gave them a bit more buoyancy and so they were not gonna sink. And all of them at the end of their lives all point back and they all say, it was the amazing grace of God given to me in Christ that sustained me, that carried me all the way to this point. It's he who gave me the courage. It's he who gave me the peace. It's he who gave me the strength. It's why you and I can walk the same path. So let's just take a moment in prayer now and then we're gonna sing of this grace of God. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, I want to belong to Christ. I want all this stuff. I need all this stuff we've been talking about this morning. But how do I do that? I want to just lead you in a prayer right now. If you want to receive Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to be made right with God, you can pray this prayer after me. They're not magic words, but you pray it from your heart and ask God to save you. Let's pray together. Just say, Father in heaven, 
I admit that I am weak. I admit that I am sinful. And I admit that I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross for me. Forgive my sins and make me right with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And the scriptures say that if you believe in Christ, you are immediately saved. Your sins are washed away. You are reconciled to your creator. You're adopted into his family, made to be a son or daughter. And we go and we learn what it means to live out this new identity. Father, thank you for this message this morning. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace, which you just continually pour out to us. Even when we ignore you, when we place other things higher than you, you keep encountering us. We're grateful for your grace that you keep doing this. And Father, I pray you would do this as a church, that as we, we enter into this new season, Lord, surprise us, I pray. I pray that you would do things new in our midst, that we would encounter you in new ways that maybe we've never experienced here at Central before. There'd be a new life breathed into us, new air breathed into our church, into our souls. Pray that for all our churches across our city, for your churches around the world coming out of this COVID season, Lord. I pray you would do something new where we would point to you and say, that was because of God. It's not because we're exceptional or special, but that God has done a great thing in our midst. Do this, I pray, for each of us individually. Do this for us as a church. And we give you the praise for truly your grace is amazing to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray it. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.